really focusing quite a bit on our science. Yes, we're collecting surgical video. Yes, we're annotating that video. Yes, we're going to be able to, uh, with our ground truth data, continue to label key critical structure and functions and then provide additional information to surgeons um, in real time. But the fact that our science is now capable of identifying certain things that in the past people didn't think the science by itself and the algorithms that we're mixing with the science would allow people to see the neurovascular bundle or allow people to see the ureter. Um, these are major structures that um, there's, it's very difficult to identify during surgery. It's just, thankfully, we have such talented surgeons in the world. Um, but even with the talent, there's complications that we can hopefully prevent and eliminate or de-risk many of them and lower that risk. So um, yes, like I, I, I'm a big believer in AI, but I'm a bigger believer in science. Welcome to the Less Invasive Podcast, a podcast covering minimally invasive surgery and enabling technologies for the operating room and radiology environment. I'm your host, Lucien Blondel, co-founder and CTO of Quantum Surgical, a startup commercializing the Apian robot for percutaneous tumor ablation. I bring to the table 20 years of experience in imaging and robotics for orthopedics, cranial neurosurgery, spine surgery, interventional radiology, and interventional oncology. Today, I'm very grateful to have Todd Yusen uh, on the show. So Todd is the CEO of a medtech startup called Active Surgical that commercializes a digital platform for minimally invasive surgery. And Todd is also a seasoned medtech executive uh, with over 25 plus uh, years of experience in this uh, industry and a proven track record uh, at uh, Olympus, where I was the president of uh, medical systems at uh, Smith and Nephew, where he was president of orthopedics, and also at Boston Scientific, where he held uh, various sales management roles in the GI and neurovascular space. Todd, thank you very much for making time for me in your busy schedule. How are you today? I'm doing well, Lucian. Thanks so much for having me. Cool. So I want to uh, start this episode uh, by understanding a little bit more the mission and, and the vision of uh, Active Surgical. But first, a question about yourself. So you spent your, your whole career in the medtech industry and you could have left the space and, uh, and uh, drive companies in other industries. What's your why? Why, why do you stay in medtech? Well, I've always um, been a big believer in the space since I was young. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, I grew up in a, in a world where my mother had uh, multiple sclerosis. So she, she dealt with MS for years. And um, the last... Uh, uh, about 12 years of her life, um, she was completely bedridden and it okay. was, it was, it was, it was somewhat difficult, um, to see because she was such a strong, powerful person. Her mind was perfect, but her body just started failing a little. So I always had that interest in understanding, you know, um, how do you give back? I, I wasn't really, um, in that role of becoming a, a doctor. Um, I was going to look at other opportunities. And then while I was in college at the, in the business school, I, I was recruited into, um, medical right away. And I never realized how lucky I was because I realized how hard it is to get into, mm -hmm. but I've never looked back. And I always felt that um, to me, it was always about a technology more than anything else, not just being at a big company or a big name. It was about a technology that truly makes a difference. So I've always um, made sure there was a legitimate problem and that a company that I was working on or the technology that I have, there's a solution versus so many technologies out there are just amazing solutions all looking for a problem and mm -hmm. so my why is because my mother had ms and there's never been a cure okay. it's always looking for we know the problem and what's the solution so um 
and and that's the that's the world that I've been through in, in my formative years at Boston Scientific, Smith and Nephew, and Olympus uh, prior to Active Surgical. There's always been technology that you believe in that actually can solve a problem. Yeah, I mean, I love that mindset of uh, starting with the problem and not starting with the great technology because. Uh, uh, I mean, that's uh, you, you can have a, a great product with, with not a so, stof- so sophisticated technology. As long as it answers the needs of the physicians for improving sure. patient outcomes, you don't need a, a very complex uh, machine. So, uh, the technology at Active Surgical. What's 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 the mission? What's the mission of Active Surgical, and what's the vision behind this company? Well, the mission is truly to, and it, it sounds like a, a bumper sticker to a point, but it's truly to democratize surgical care in the operating room. And what I mean by that is um, every patient, um, every, every patient should have the confidence that their surgeon, no matter where they are in the world, um, has the same information that they can perform an effective surgery and, and get an effective outcome. And active surgical is one um, that really is focusing on making sure that we provide the insights and the information live in real-time surgery so physicians all have the same information. Um, to back up that mission a little, uh, Lucian, I, I, I look at um, many other fields and many other um, things that we deal with every day in life. And I, I think about, the, you know, oftentimes because we, we, our foundational technology was autonomous robotics. Uh, Active Surgical mm-hmm. in 2017 completed the world's first fully autonomous robotic procedure of soft tissue. Now, we're not building a robot, um, but I look at, into the autonomous car world. And I realize that um, to get from a traditional car to an autonomous car, we've had rear view cameras, we've had side view mirrors, we've had seats that vibrate. We have all this information that uh, a new driver that's been driving for one day uh, has the same information that I do that's been driving for 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, now, my intuition hopefully is better. And so I hopefully I'm a better driver, but that information is available. But a surgeon that's been practicing for one day, one year, five years, um, doesn't have the same information or knowledge that a surgeon that's been practicing for 30 to 40 years or 20 years or 15 years. Um, and that's not necessarily right. So active surgical, in a sense, is providing that rear view camera or that side view mirror with a mark on it or vibrating seats with lane assist um, to surgeons, no matter where they're practicing, whether they do five procedures a year or whether they do 500 procedures a year, we're providing insights on your surgical screen, on your image, mod, on your, image, um, on your monitor, while you're doing laparoscopic or robotic procedures that a physician can't see without the active technology. All right, so I, I understand the, the mission is very clear and, and the vision uh, also. So let's talk about the product. So Active Site, that's the name of the, of the product. How does it look like, what it is? The, the very first product, Active Site, is uh, what's called an imaging module. It's a small device that fits seamlessly between a existing laparoscopic camera mm-hmm. and a laparoscopic scope. Now any company. So my past background being with Olympus, you know, as the president of Olympus and even at Smith and nephew, I understand scope and camera technology because both those companies were global leaders in those spaces and in their, in their specific, um, markets that they competed in Carl Stort, striker, what have you. So those are cameras that attach to a scope and go do a laparoscopic procedure. Every hospital, uh, in the world has laparoscopic scopes and cameras. Uh, We don't want to be selling a lot of capital. We have a device that fits and FDA cleared uh, fits seamlessly between existing scopes and existing cameras. And you continue to utilize your striker system, your stort system, your Olympus system, and take advantage of all of those benefits for everything that you purchase those systems for. But when you want to visualize blood flow or key critical structures without the use of any dyes or in real-time information that's not visible 
any other way, you press a small button on active uh, the image module that attaches between the scope and the, uh, and the camera, and you'll see things right on your monitor physician in real time, um, information that you can't have uh, any other way. There's no way to see some of these critical structures. There's no way to see some of this blood flow in real time without the use of any dyes. And that's what Active is doing. We're just trying to provide um, real-time intelligent information for physicians to continue to make um, good decisions. And, and Lucian, the reason why to me, remember when I started saying, what's the problem? There has to be a real problem. Yep. The third leading cause of death in the world are preventable medical errors. 26% of those preventable medical errors are preventable surgical errors. This means patients that went to the operating room table without a terminal disease, they were getting their gallbladders removed, they were getting a colorectal procedure, an esophagus procedure, all serious procedures, but none that a patient should be dying from. Mm -hmm. And patients are coming back and being readmitted because of things that are situational awareness, things that aren't visible to the naked eye. It's not due to lack of skill of the physician. It's due to lack of information or, or there's certain things you can't see in real time that we want to make sure we provide that surrounding. Just like I said, you know, no matter how much you drive in, the, in, in, in life, and we said we would never use our rear view cameras because I know how to turn around and turn my head and put my arm over the seat and look behind me. I still could never see the curb or the street behind me. But now the camera on the back of my car is seeing all the way down to the street level. It's just providing information that no matter how I drive, there's no way I could ever have. And that's what we're trying to do and we, we are doing and we're performing that well to make sure physicians can identify things. We wanna reduce those readmissions and we wanna reduce the third leading cause of death, those preventable surgical errors. And um, that's really where active surgical, this technology works and comes in handy. Okay, I mean, that's a great analogy with the car. Everybody can uh, relate to that. And uh, and myself also, I was uh, trained on the, you know, the rear view mirror, but right now with the, the camera and stuff, it's uh, it's much more easy. It's much, uh, and, and, and you can see people and uh, prevent from, you know, hitting on someone just uh, basically that uh, you would have I've seen. So that's uh, that's great. So the, the active site imaging module, how big is it? Is it a reprocessed, is it a sterilizable component? How does it work? Just small yes, it's a, square it's a, stuff? It's a, it's a completely um, disinfectable, unsterilizable technology that fits. It's, uh, it's um, a little taller than a camera system, but okay. it's, it's thinner than the camera itself. And it fits right between um, the camera. It's smaller than your phone okay. um, device that attaches between a, 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 a scope and a camera. And it's button controls right on top that the surgeon with one hand can use uh, her thumb um, to control the visualization that you're trying to see, whether it's our overlay, our contrast, or even the visualization of dyes, which we can also visualize dyes without asking the hospital to bring in a $200,000 or $150,000 to $200,000 piece of capital equipment to visualize other dyes that they're injecting as well. So we, we really tried to make this system very seamless and easy to use for our hospitals. And so when you when you I'm a surgeon I operate I want to have this uh, insight I press the button is this the the information is on the same screen uh, uh, where you get your laparoscopic view or is it a, a second screen with the additional information how does it work Great question and it's exactly the same screen so we okay. have different choices so you're looking at your traditional laparoscopic or endoscopic view on the screen and we call mm -hmm. that red green blue your RGB visual that you get from any scope system. When you press the active uh, button, you have choices. You can see an overlay view, which is a perfusion overlay that lays right on top of your laparoscopic view. You can see a contrast view um, by just pressing the buttons. And these views are just showing you where the blood flow or key critical structures are appearing. 
And then there's even to make it simpler, um, the opportunity for picture in picture. So you can always keep your laparoscopic view. We want to make it so I, we've spoken to many physicians and many physicians over the years that started learning ultrasound or how to read an MRI. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes said, if I always, I didn't know where I was. And if I always, if I had something that would have grounded me, my, my original view, but it doesn't work that way. It's not possible in the ultrasound or an MRI. But in this technology, instead of just putting a foreign picture on the screen with multiple colors, we want to make sure that we're letting the physician always know so they can be grounded. So you can always go back and forth between your traditional laparoscopic view, your contrast or overlay, and you can actually at the same time have a picture in picture and see both views and make whichever one you'd like to be larger or smaller. Okay, I understand. So pretty much because I was discussing that uh, with uh, in the two previous episodes with a surgeon, reconstructive pelvic surgeon, and and the general surgeon. Surgeon don't want really to change their workflow, their equipment, and stuff Not like at that. All. So what I understand here is that they have this piece of equipment. Of course, they have to plug it to the between the ca- the camera and the scope. But basically, they operate the same as what they used to be. It's just that on the push of a button, they can add in, have different view of the anatomy and have insight of where the blood uh, goes and, and maybe some uh, anatomical structure they could not really see uh, sure. through the blood or stuff like that in the in the image, images thanks to the, the active uh, imaging module, right? Absolutely. So so the workflow, we, the goal was to continue to make it seamless. They're, they're not turning on active site the entire procedure. So I'll give you one quick example of a, of a, of a procedure. So uh, thoracic surgeons perform esophagectomy. That means um, potentially maybe the patient has cancer in their esophagus and they want to remove the tumor. Okay. Above the tumor and below the tumor, there's probably adequate blood flow. But right where the tumor is, there's not. So what the physicians would have done in the past um, is they may inject this dye called ICG. And the dye goes wherever there's blood flow, active blood flow, it will, it'll, the dye will attach itself and then they bring in another system that visualizes dye and the system will show fluorescent green. Now, the, the system is not really visualizing the blood, it's visualizing the dye. So okay. we see where there's green above the tumor and there's green below the tumor in your esophagus. So you know if you want to remove the tumor, you want to cut where there's still some blood flow and above it and below it, and then you want to sew it back together. And that's called an anastomosis, when okay. you sew something back together. The problem with an anastomosis, any anastomosis, the number one um, uh, side effect, in this case complication, is called an anastomotic leak. And 22 to 24% of esophagectomies have an anastomotic leak. The number oh, one cause, high, Lucian, of an anastomotic leak. That's a high leak, rate, 20, 20%. Yeah, it's a very high rate. Now, in colorectal procedures, bariatric, there's also anastomotic leaks. Some can be as small as 2%, others can be 8%, 10 12%, but they occur. And the number one cause of them is an inadequate, inadequate blood flow. So in the past, you would because you injected this dye, um, it's not it's only real time once because it's dye mm-hmm. that's in the system. Yeah, so until all of that dye dissipates, so when mm-hmm. I sew these two uh, sides of the esophagus back together or two sides of the colon back together, and I want to make sure there's adequate blood flow at my suture site, mm-hmm. am I looking at the dye that I had previously injected or am I looking at fresh dye that tells me real time? And this is not a surprise to physicians. Every doctor knows they don't get real time visualization with dyes, but it has been the gold standard. With active, because it's no, it's not liquid based. It's 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 basically laser speckle technology to uh, and with sensor data, computer vision. That with the press of a button, we're showing you where there's active blood flow. If I took a, a bleeding um, esophagus and I clamped it right in the center, and stopped the bleeding, 
and you turn on active site, you'll see exactly where the blood stops. As soon as you release the clamp, you'll see the blood start to, to show up again. That's not available anywhere in medical today. And mm. blood flow is the first principle of surgery. And the fact that there's no real way or simple way for physicians to identify blood flow in real time is one of the, the advantages of the active site technology. And that wasn't even the number one reason why the technology was created, but that's one of the, the, the simplest ways for physicians to provide them more information. Again, there's your, you switch lanes in your car and your seat vibrates when you're not paying attention. So, or your steering wheel vibrates. Yep. Um, we want to give you that information that you've never had so you can make the best decisions. And then you're not going to exit the patient until you know there's adequate blood flow in real time at that suture site. And that's one of the advantages with the anastomosis portion of active. It, that doesn't even start to, to go into the critical structure identification, which we can get into as well. Okay, so I, I understand those uh, those two advantages that uh, you do not have to inject dye because the, the you have the blood flow that is uh, analyzed by the laser technology, and also you can turn on and turn off uh, as long as you want this kind of technology, and always have the information when you turn on the the, the device and not uh, based on what happened before. Uh, so that's uh, yeah, that's very very interesting. So you mentioned that uh, in some way uh, this system is uh, replacing uh, conventional near-infrared imaging equipment that, that would have been additional to the, the procedure otherwise? Well, it's not necessarily the equipment. It might be the dye because a near-infrared okay. scope is still very valuable. And we actually work best through near-infrared scopes, scopes that can visualize um, that type of a technology. And the fact that we also, um, there are other uses for dyes outside of blood flow. You won't need dye anymore to determine perfusion data, perfusion being okay. blood flow. Um, but there is there are advantages of dyes to see certain uh, sentinel and lymph nodes. Um, dyes can see different certain critical structures early. And one of the things that Active is doing is our second product is called Active Insights. While we're in the case with our Active Site Image Module, there's 50 million procedures globally that have a need for identification of blood flow and certain key critical structures, which we can do. But while we're in that case, we have what's called Active Insights. And this will transform massive amounts of, of, of data that's gathered intraoperatively that, to help characterize tissue and other critical structures. And we're basically going to take that data, de-identified surgical video that goes up into the cloud. It's then annotated by physicians all over the world. We have some uh, people that are annotating doc today, and they're identifying key critical structures. And they're identifying sentinel and lymph nodes that mm. they can see with a with dye, or they're identifying uh, a gallbladder, or excuse me, a common bile duct that you can identify with dye. So then they put that, identify it, label it, annotate it, um, and then they, it goes into our machine learning model. So we'll be able to feed back in real time to physicians without the use of dyes for those other areas that need dyes. This is your common bile duct. Um, here is your ureter. Here are certain key structures that we want to identify that cost U.S. healthcare alone over a billion dollars a year because of damage to certain structures that aren't visible. Some structures aren't even visible with dye that we can identify, such as the ureter. Other structures you can see with dye, and we can see them with active site, but we're collecting that data. So in about 12 to 18 months, you won't need any dye at all to even inject, and you're going to be able to identify that through our AI portion. And then there's key critical structure. I mean, our, our science... Um, we've gotten into robotics very quickly, um, Lucian, and, and that wasn't necessarily, even though like our foundational technology, as I shared, was autonomous robotic surgery. Um, the number one procedure that's done in robotic surgery is called a, a radical prostatectomy or a nerve sparing prostatectomy. Yep. Um, and one of the side effects of a nerve sparing prostatectomy that every single surgeon in the world tells every single patient in the world that during this removal of the prostate, we may clip a nerve. 
Yep. And it's called the landmark artery. And if we clip that nerve, it could lead to erectile dysfunction or loss of function for short periods of time or forever. And many patients, surprisingly, or believe it or not, and maybe it's not that surprising, are choosing for localized chemotherapy because they don't want to have that risk. Mm -hmm. And it's understandable. One of the things that Active has been proven to do, and we're working with physicians right now, uh, the number one robotic surgeon in the world is one of our scientific advisors. Um, we've been able to identify this landmark artery and nerve before the physician starts to um, dissect or cut the prostate out. So all of a sudden, if you can see that and then make your mm. cut, we can remove the prostate and limit the chances of nicking that nerve. And that's something with our science that originally we thought would be part of our AI. But actually, the science and the continuation of the work of the team on our science and our algorithm, we're able to identify, it's called able to identify the neurovascular bundle pre-release. And that's going to make a huge difference in patient care because now we're taking a major risk, the number one risk out of prostatectomy surgery. Yeah, I mean, yeah, now I fully understand what is active surgical because I prepped the episode for sure. But uh, the, the AI part, I was not grasping exactly uh, the contour and what it was doing. So, right. It, and it resonated quite uh, with some work we are doing in uh, in AI for radiology where like we are in a, in a liver cancer and, and you can... Uh, It's not surgery, it's with uh, percutaneous uh, procedures, but uh, radiologists, they have those images, CT, and sometimes they don't really see where is the tumor, where are some critical structures, and so they need to inject a uh, contrast agent, and, right. and uh, there is so much agent that you can uh, inject because of the renal impact on the, on the renal function. And so they have to choose between, you know, inject this uh, product to get more insight or uh, just right. to say, okay, I think it's there. So I will not, I will not inject any more data, any more um, contrast agent. And so if you have some kind of uh, AI that uh, automatically identify in real time uh, in the images, where is the tumor, where is the bile duct, where is those stuff, that, then even in in our space, which is international radiology, that's, uh, that uh, would be very helpful. So thanks for having clarifying uh, this uh, this topic for me. So AI, is, I understand this is something you're working on and uh, that will be uh, um, added to the product that you have already uh, because it's a software, it's at the back end of the, of the mm -hmm. digital surgery platform that you are having and, and then your customer will be able to have uh, both the uh, advanced imaging uh, functions as well as the contouring and uh, anatomical structure uh, identification thanks to the AI uh, intelligence, right? Yeah, and it starts with, I mean, AI in medical and anyone that's listening to this podcast knows that people talk about AI all the time, but yep. it's, it's, it's not as easy as let's just, we're going to have AI and tell us what to do. We have to have a confidence level of our surgeons. I mean, is a surgeon going to believe something is 97% confident when there's a 3% chance they're not when you're in the middle of surgery? Probably not, depending on the case. Other procedures, maybe yes. Um, so AI really needs to start with computer vision. And um, you know, you know, the, our platform leverages AR, um, AI, machine learning, and sensing-based technologies to really allow um, surgeons to view critical um, physiological structures and things that can't be seen with the naked eye. But the better that the science is, the better that the data is, the better the data is, the better the outcomes will be with the leading to AI. So we're really focusing quite a bit on our science. Yes, we're collecting surgical video. Yes, we're annotating that video. Yes, we're going to be able to, uh, with our ground truth data, continue to label key critical structure and functions and then provide additional information to surgeons um, in real time. 
But the fact that our science is now capable of identifying certain things that in the past people didn't think the science by itself and the algorithms that we're mixing with the science would allow people to see the neurovascular bundle or allow people to see the ureter. Um, these are major structures that um, there's, it's very difficult to identify during surgery. It's just, thankfully, we have such talented surgeons in the world. Um, but even with the talent, there's complications that we can hopefully prevent and eliminate or de-risk many of them and lower that risk. So, um, yes, like I, I, I'm a big believer in AI, but I'm a bigger believer in science. Mm -hmm. And um, the data becomes that much richer and better. And the fact that we can now help physicians, uh, like I said, in real time, whether it's a laparoscopic, whether it's an arthroscopic, whether it's a robotic. And here's the beauty of it. This works in open procedures, whether it's uh, breast reconstruction, whether this is uh, going to the ICU or going to the ER with, with um, wound care or frostbite. I mean, the technology identifies blood flow. The technology identifies key critical structure. It's up to us to make the form factor fit in any of those models. Today, we're starting with the laparoscopic and robotic technology with our form factor, but we have many opportunities to continue to advance this. And thankfully, our IP allows us to do that. All right. I mean, that's, uh, that's exciting. So what you say is uh, you can plug the system either to a conventional uh, laparoscope or even the robotic system that are commercialized today, like the Da Vinci from Intuitive Surgical. Yeah. So um, today with the Da Vinci system, uh, with, a, with the scope, to start with the scope, the question, yes, we take our image module and we attach it right to the scope and the camera uh, that they're using for the procedure. Uh, with a robot, until we work and we're, you know, obviously have some um, opportunities and relationships with a handful of robotic companies, until we do some code development and co-manufacturing, work side by side with the with the robot. Today, in those first uro urological procedures, every um, robotic procedure has what's called an accessory port. And in that accessory port, you basically take a scope with our camera on it when the doctor, in those few minutes that a physician wants to press a button and see if they can identify the nerve, so there's always someone at the bedside in that yep. accessory port anyway. So they move things in and out, whether it's suction or what have you. They put the camera system right into the, the accessory port. The doctor, the surgeon is controlling the, the robot from their console. Uh, in the Intuit, in the in the Da Vinci uh, situation, other situations, they're all they're controlled from different different mechanisms. But the early urological procedures we've done, yes, with the Da Vinci system, and the physician is going back and forth, mostly using their robot because mm -hmm. that's what they're that's why they're doing the procedure. But they want to use active for their guide. They want to see the nerve. They know where it is. They then go continue some of their procedure. They then turn it on throughout the case at different times. Almost like I said with the car for lane assist. If you are confident that you are not touching the neurovascular bundle, the landmark artery, or the nerves in a patient, that's a major difference for the physician. And then it's a major difference for the patient when the procedure is over and a physician can show the patient the picture of the procedure that the nerve is intact because mm -hmm. the procedure is actually called Lucian and I'm a simple man. The procedure is called a nerve sparing prostatectomy. The only problem with that is it's very difficult to see the nerve. Um, okay. So uh, not luckily we can now see the nerve and that makes a big difference and something that we're, we're very proud of, but we want to continue to work with our physicians globally to make sure that this is making a difference for them. Okay. So I understand that uh, right now it's a uh endoscope it's uh, integrated and the robotic side that you take advantage of this uh, fourth accessory point that uh, they use anyway to uh, add this uh, information and, and later on with a partnership with uh, com uh, companies you will be able to uh, to integrate this technology right into the, the, the robotic platform that's uh, that's uh, very interesting so maybe uh, a question uh, 
what, what stage of commercialization are you right now with the, the active site? Is it a limited uh, customer release or full product yes. launch? Is it US or what's the what's the stage right now? Yeah, so um, like the rest of the world, you know, everyone was a, a little slowed by the pandemic, but it, yeah. it, no excuses. I mean, the pandemic happened and it's all it's up to all of us to go out there. So we, re we received our FDA clearance, actually. We submitted um and uh, during the pandemic and received it um, right during that period as well. And then we did our initial um, investigational review board studies to make sure the technology was doing the things that we wanted to. We're in limited market release. We are in um, 13 of the largest IDNs, um, integrated delivery networks in the US. And the reason we chose that and, and really, but focusing on um, one or two at a time. And the reason that we're, we're doing that, we put seasoned um, medical device representatives. We, you know, being a, it'd be nice as a startup company to walk out to the field with um, um, young, hungry, uh, new people and save a little money that way, but nobody would know active surgical. So we went out and um, we have our, the people that we have in the field are uh, managers from Intuitive, managers from Stryker, managers from Smith and Nephew, managers view from Boston Scientific, from J&J, &J, people that have been in the operating room for thousands of procedures and, and they know the landscape and they know the hospital. So they've walked into some of those large IDNs and they started doing their procedures and physicians are ordering. Um, and so we're in our commercial stage of the limited market release. So we're, we're getting our first orders now um, with our technology. And we're very excited about that. And we've, we've completed over 200 procedures in the United States, okay. um, non-IRB. So meaning that we're not paying for them. They're asking mm -hmm. for it, the technology, uh, to evaluate and bring it in. And we're, we're, we're running some great evaluations. Like I said, the reason we chose this IDN strategy because some of these systems could have 40 hospitals uh, in the system. Once we get into the first hospital, and it takes some time, and especially now in the medical markets when hospitals are struggling, there's a nursing shortage, there's hospitals are struggling underwater somewhat, and there's been a delay in the product um, uh, meetings and, and the value analysis meetings. But yep. again, no excuses. So we're, we, we realize that and everyone has to deal with that. And we're, we're, we're dealing with that. So once we get into hospital number one, while it might take a little longer time because they're such large systems, uh, we will have the license to hunt in a sense. We, we want to make sure we're on their their contracts and we're on their agreements because uh, we're, we're choosing hospitals that make a difference right now that really have innovative thinkers as their surgeons to start with that really believe in this technology. Once we're in their systems, we then can start uh, those those few representatives that we have in the field can then work the whole system. And many, like I said, are 17 hospital systems to 45 hospital systems. And that gives us a great opportunity to spread it. Um, and then the CE mark is um, where CE mark, obviously everyone knows about MDRs. Um, yeah. It's taken a little longer and um you know we, we we weren't going to be uh dissuaded from working on on europe because we have unbelievable european advisors that we greatly believe in that are anxiously awaiting that we've done some procedures with already um and not not we're waiting for a ce mark before we do those procedures on patients and we have our ce mark is expected in 2022 and then we have our european advisors that are we want to put this in their hands start doing some procedures and the the global um launch would be really second half of 2023 into 2024 um, after our advisors really get a chance to utilize the technology and then we'll it will ramp up our u.s commercial activity in 2023 okay that makes sense yeah i mean the in the europe it's quite uh, complex right now to uh, to get uh, a medical device approved with all the notified body they have uh, thousands of uh, of uh, files to review and, uh, and the delays are just uh, just crazy i mean the average is i think uh, around uh, 18 or 18 or 20 months just to get the the approval once the file is closed so 
Yes. Yeah. All right. So it's, it's that's difficult. Uh, yeah, it, it's just, yeah. So the downside is that uh, companies are, I mean, the downside for me as a European is that the uh, companies are, are looking to start in the US uh, now first uh, as the first market uh, and then come back to, to Europe, I mean, European uh, companies. All right, so moving on to uh, to a more question more about the company and, and yourself, uh, I want to hear maybe a little bit uh, the story about, because you mentioned that uh, all started with the autonomous surgical robotics uh, technology that was developed uh, uh, in Boston, maybe, uh, I'm not sure. And, and the company uh, then changed uh, the strategy, I guess, uh, the vision to uh, this uh, very relevant um, vision around uh, bringing insight during a minimally invasive surgery and I understand all kind of surgeries. So a very broad um, uh, market. And, and what's the story be behind this shift of strategy? Sure. sure. So um, in uh, the original work that was done in uh, 2016 at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. with our founder, Dr. Peter Kim, who was leading that, uh, that, that unit there, um, completed the world's first fully autonomous robotic procedure of soft tissue. The information was compared to um, of suturing. The autonomous robot was compared to the times of surgeons, and the data was published. And it was published in Science Magazine, uh, Great Point Ventures Foundry. Um, and, and to give you a little feel of Great Point Ventures, so it, it backed up the technology side of the tech side. Great Point Ventures um, general partner, Ray Lane, was the COO of Oracle for uh, 25 years or so. And his partner, Ashok Krishnamurthy, um, was a founder of Juniper Network. So believed in technology. And they approached uh, Dr. Kim, um, their foundry, and said, we want to make a company out of Active Surgical. In 2017, Active Surgical became a company. Um, now I came on at the beginning of 2019 after witnessing in December of 2018, um, active, um, we powered the first fully autonomous, minimally invasive robotic surgery. So it wasn't an open procedure anymore. It was minimally invasive. And I witnessed this and I was watching this and, and the technology fantastic. Um, I don't necessarily know if it was a change in strategy, but coming from the medical market that I had been in, um, Keep in mind, I've been in both the device and disposables as well as capital equipment. And my world, um, you know, I've, I've been part of um, robotics and, and Smith and Nephew with the Navio and Blue Belt system yep. and understanding the Mako system and, and, and the time that we were working there. But I realized in um, general surgery and laparoscopic technology, there were three major companies uh, Carl Storch, Stryker, and Olympus. In orthopedic surgery and, la and arthroscopy, there were three major companies. Smith and Nephew, Stryker, and Arthrex um, at the time. Um, and you go to GI, there were three major companies, Olympus, Pentax, and Fuji. And this is the way capital goes in scopes. At the time that I was talking to Active Surgical, there was 50 to 100 companies trying to come out with a robot. Yet, obviously, we knew about the few that had uh, been FDA cleared. One was shutting its doors. Another was uh, looking to change its name. Um, and go to a different means, um, great technology, but just look, it was a struggle. I had no goal and no desire to build a robot. <laughs> you know, the goal would be to raise $2 billion to hopefully in five or 10 years have two or 3% on the market. When I looked at the time, robotic surgery was making up about six to 8% of all minimally invasive surgery. And it still is. It might be up to nine or 10 right now, 2% of overall surgeries which meant that 94 to 92 to 94% of all minimally invasive surgeries are done laparoscopically. 
So my goal was I don't want one or 2% of the market with this great science that we have. And sitting with our chief technology officer, Tom Califf, who had a great, tremendous robotic background, was, was, had led a company through FDA of another robotic system in the past. Um, we sat down and had a discussion of how do we get our technology to work with all systems, all minimally invasive scopes, arthroscopes, as well as robots. Okay. I, so we have the opportunity to go after 100% of the market. Doesn't mean we're going to get 100% of the market, but to limit ourselves to, to, to quite a few, um, I don't think would have been a good strategy. In hindsight, I'm very glad we made that decision. And Tom and team worked, took our algorithm, took our science, took our, 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 our technology, and we went from concept of the image module, the active site image module, that we knew can work with laparoscopes everywhere, as well as can work side by side with robotics. And we went from concept through the FDA in two years. And that's unheard of, in, 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 but, but I, you know, we, we had great advice, great guidance, and we had a lot of medical experience on our organization. And the opportunity to, like I said, to not build a robot, in the time since, um, there's been, um, the FDA has changed some policy. They're going, they're asking for certain de novo. There's been some robotic companies that have, have closed their doors. There's other, some of this consolidation as we're seeing. So um, I think it's pretty impressive to see that um, at the end of the day, there's one giant company that's been selling robots in the United States. There's a few big companies that are selling robots internationally, really talented. And obviously we just saw a major announcement with J&J &J and CMR, which is extremely exciting. We hope every robotic company makes it because we want to work with them all. Um, but we, at the end of the day, I know there's going to be a tremendous consolidation of capital equipment. If I just look at history of the capital equipment that's been around for 50 years in medicine. Um, so unless everything changes, uh, I don't think building a robot was our best play. The opportunity to get this information to surgeons in whatever means possible has been what's been proven to be most successful and most exciting for our physicians. Thank you very much, uh, Todd. Uh, that was uh, very insightful. Uh, I, I have prepped this episode and I, I knew this uh, brain perfusion and uh, fluorescence uh, aspect of the uh, active surgical technology, but now I understand fully uh, the potential of AI. It's not only on the, on the visualizing the blood flow, it's much more than that, uh, being capable of uh, identify, identifying critical analytical structure in the videos thanks to all the annotation that is doing uh, that is being done right now by uh, by surgeons by physicians and that will uh, fed the uh, science and algorithm and machine learning uh, algorithm uh, for the for the future and uh, i mean i understand also the the story behind uh, the company and how it uh, it uh, leverage all the technology that has been developed for a very specific purpose uh, automatic automating uh, surgical robotics and soft tissues and transfer that uh, technology into something that has uh, a, a greater impact, I would say, uh, because it's compatible with uh, all laparoscope and surgical robots. So the total addressable market is, uh, is just huge because it's all surgical procedures where the surgeon might make uh, surgical errors based on uh, inadequate uh, identification of structures of, or blood flow. So I, I'm, I'm a better... Uh, understand uh, the, the technology right now. Thank you very much for having uh, taken uh, the time uh, for me. Uh, how can the people reach out to uh, Active Surgical? Well, I mean, if they if they want it, and hopefully the uh, we, we kept it simple with activesurgical.com. Information's on the website. We can reach out. There's contact information for those that you need to speak to. Um, 
feel free, please take a look and, and, and we're excited about it and we're excited about the future. One thing I, 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 I be remiss if I didn't say is um, just because I said we're not building a robot, the nice thing about Active is um, Active still owns the patents on autonomous robotic surgery. So we're, we're very proud of that and we know it gives us an opportunity to continue to strive for a true north and help our uh, brothers and sisters in robotics achieve things that um, aren't happening today, but when the world is ready for it. You know, and so we want to get there the right yeah. time. At the right time, I'm, 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 uh, I agree with that. Autonomous uh, robot uh, when it will be the right time. All right, thank you very much. Uh, hang on, uh, we'll chat uh, offline uh, a couple of minutes, and uh, thank you all for having listening to uh, another episode of the Less Invasive Podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Less Invasive Podcast. If you found value in this episode, please subscribe and leave a review, or pass it on to your friends and colleagues. I'll greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.